Well, thank you, ringers. Uh, good morning. Welcome to our 945 service on this, the second Sunday of Easter. It's good to be together in God's house this morning. Welcome to those of you in the room. Many more we know who are joining us online. Welcome to those of you who are visiting. Uh, looking around, some of you I don't know or you're pretty new to the church. We're really honored that you have come here. And we'd love to, the chance to get to know you, so leave us some uh, contact information, anything before you get away. We'd love to chat with you this week, learn about you. You can learn about us. That would be a wonderful thing. My name's James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. You could tell that by my clothing, right? <laughs> a few weeks back, somebody came in and came up to me and said, do you work here? It's the Sunday after Easter. I'm up, I'm up from, my name's James Howell. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together in this Easter season. We hope that you might take this opportunity to find ways to get plugged in. We have several different small groups and things that are starting up in the next week or so. And as always, please know our staff is here for you. If there is a way that we can help you get plugged in, please reach out. We are here to support you in your faith journey. Friends, it is good to be together. It is good to join in worship. So let us continue on with an attitude of worship.
Family of God, may we join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. come together as the family of God, it is good for us to confess our sins before God and one another, knowing that God is quick to forgive and rich in mercy. So please join me in the prayer of confession. Gracious God, forgive us for the doubt that clouds our vision, the pain that makes us hide from you, from ourselves, and from those we love most. Free us from our confusion. Heal us from our wounds. Resurrect us from our shame. Raise us into the hope and joy that we realize when we are close to you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The New Testament reading is 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning with the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On uh, Monday of this week, I ran into uh, somebody in the church when I was out and about who said, Easter is over. And I thought, oh, if my buddy Shane Page had been standing there, what Shane always loved to remind us of is Easter's longer than Lent, right? The season of Lent, when we focus on our brokenness, when we imagine the dark hole that we have fallen into, a season of repentance, of remorse, of sorrow, uh, the dark shadows, uh, that, that season gives way to a season of light and joy and hope and new life that is larger, that is greater. I love the uh, Easter stories in the Bible. Uh, they're, they're, they're a mess, right? The people running around, they're confused, they don't know what's going on. The women tell what they saw and the men don't believe them. And Jesus catches up to two of his disciples on the road. They don't recognize him. Uh, the Thomas doubts. Uh, there's a breakfast by the sea. It's just so confusing, and, and I love that because we tend to get confused about the things of God. The early Christians, like this movement started. They didn't have it all figured out. It started spreading. They didn't have a good business plan. Uh, they met in the catacombs. This is so interesting. In the Roman world, people avoided places associated with death. They had to be outside the city walls. But the early Christians, they met for worship and prayer in the catacombs where people had been buried. They felt like that was as close to heaven and eternity as they could get. Uh, I've told some of you this before. I think it pertains to uh, Christian faith in a peculiar way. When uh, Linda Baines John, I don't know if it's a true story. I hope it's a true story because it's a good one. Lyndon Baines Johnson was running for Senate in Texas for the first, first time. He and some of his cronies were out uh, registering voters at night in a cemetery. <laughs> Fraudulent registrations. One guy's going along, and he gets to a stone. It's kind of overgrown. He can't read it, so he skips it. And Lyndon says, no, 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 you go back. He has as much right to vote as anybody else in this cemetery, <laughs> which is a hilarious one. In the church, we believe that it is the dead who have, like, they have the right to vote. We need to listen to them, and what does that look like? Um, here's the thing. Lisa and I this past week got to go to the premiere of a new documentary film that I think everybody, not just in Charlotte, maybe in America, ought to see. It's called A Binding Truth. It's the story about a couple guys that grew up in Charlotte. One is named D. Kirkpatrick. D's actually our neighbor, lives right down the street from us, uh, Dr. D. Kirkpatrick. He was a uh, practicing psychologist, worked in the area of addiction and so on uh, for years. So it's the story of D, and then it's the story of another guy that uh, grew up. They went to high school together named Jimmy Kirkpatrick. Jimmy was a major football star. He lived in uh, what they used to call Greer Town, Greer Heights now. Uh, he went to Second Ward High School. That, of course, got torn down with the rest of the Brooklyn neighborhood in urban renewal. So Jimmy found his way to Myers Park High School and became a, he was a huge 
football star. He was like the best guy in the whole state of North Carolina. Uh, after Jimmy uh, got out of high school, he was kind of done with Charlotte because there were a lot of racist stuff that was going on. So he, he got about as far from here as you could go. He moved to Oregon. <laughs> That's pretty far from Charlotte. Years later, he started uh, researching his, his genealogy. A lot of people do that. Who are my ancestors? They have all these websites that can help you do this. So he traces his, and he realizes, not surprisingly, Jimmy being a black guy, uh, not surprisingly, he finds that he had an ancestor, his great-great, I forget how many greats, great-grandfather was named Sam, and he was a slave here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So he got interested in who was his slave owner, and he found that it was a guy named Hugh Kirkpatrick. Were you paying attention to the name when I did that? D. Kirkpatrick, white guy. Jimmy Kirkpatrick, black guy. And he discovered that, lo and behold, this, this Hugh he, he had a descendant in Charlotte named Dee. He reaches out to Dee, and the, so the documentary is their story. And it's the coolest thing is these, these two guys are like best friends. And they're not public best friends for public consumption. Like, they vacation together. Their kids are attendants in each other's weddings. Like, they are really friends. And so it's the story of all that happened, and it's really moving. And wonderful in so many ways. The two best moments in the documentary, I saw Dee out walking the other day. I said, what was your favorite moment? We talked about that. Uh, the two best moments in the documentary, one is uh, after they figured all this out, uh, Dee took Jimmy to his ancestor Hugh's grave out in southeast Charlotte. So they're at the cemetery, and then there's Jimmy. He's about to, you know, meet the ancestor of the man that held his ancestor as a slave. So they get there and they, there's the stone, Hugh Alexander. And Jimmy, he's just sweet and gentle as anybody can be. He bends down and he says, guess who's here? <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. That was Dee's favorite moment. My favorite moment is toward the end of the film. Uh, Dee and Jimmy are sitting there with a couple of friends and they're trying to sort through what all happened in this documentary. And uh, uh, Jimmy says, I wonder what, what, what have we done here? And one of the guys at the table said, uh, you've wakened the dead. You've wakened the dead. That's what church does. That's our business. We waken the dead. So I've been thinking all week about what's dead that needs to be awakened. What's dead in you? What's dead in our world that needs to be awakened? I have a list. It could be a really long one, though. Here's some stuff that I jotted down. What's gone dead in you? I hate to confess this to you. I'm so ashamed. Lisa came in a while back and said, uh, have you seen the news? I said, no. She said, there's been a shooting at a bank in Louisville. I cut on the TV. I watched that for a minute and a half, turned it off, went on about my day. The part of me that used to get horrified and tearful over such things, I think has gone dead over time, and I don't want to be that person. It's hard. It's a natural disaster every time you turn around. There's another shooting every time you turn around, but I don't want to lose the heart that breaks over such things. Uh, there's also this, the people that I've known all my life, I hoped I would never be one, but you never know. I, I used to call them ex-liberals, that's not the right term, ex-activists, ex-idealists, whatever they were. They could be conservative or liberal, it doesn't matter. But there's so many people, maybe you used to be one when you were young, like, we're going to change the world. And you would look at what was wrong in the world, and 
we just got to change things. And you know what happens with that? Lisa and I are reading these novels by Donna Leone about this uh, policeman. His name is Guido Brunetti. And he's sort of funny. His children, he has teenage kids at home. And his teenage kids, they're idealists. They're going to save the world. And he's like, oh, I used to feel that way. There's always an old person, right, who in the face of an idealist will say, oh, just you'll calm down one day. You'll understand reality one day. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the kid that's an idealist because what we believe here in the church is that what is possible is not defined by, oh, the jaded reality that we have come to know. The possible here is defined by what First Peter is writing about, the resurrection of Christ. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, if God could create the whole world, if God could make you, the possibilities are endless. I don't want to be an ex-idealist. There are also a lot of people that I talk to, and I, I can become one sometimes. It happens to all of us. You look up one day and you think, how did I become me? How did, how did this happen? People find themselves in some situations. Hard to understand. I love in the musical uh, Waitress, uh, the best song in it by far is when uh, the star sings about uh, precisely this, like the girl that she used to be, what happened to her, and the lyric goes like this, I'm not anything like I used to be. She's gone, but she used to be mine. What I want is a chance to start over and rewrite an ending or two for the girl that I knew. Like, that's a thing that can happen, not because you're brilliant or creative, but because of the power of God. You can, re there can be a, you can rewrite. There's a new ending for that person that used to be, that maybe was an idealist, maybe would cry over the stories and the news, maybe would, all that. Sometimes the losses are too great. I think about uh, Frodo at the end of The Lord of the Rings uh, says this, how do you pick up the threads of an old life? How do you go on when in your heart you begin to understand there is no going back? There are some things that time cannot mend. There are some hurts that go too deep. We're not naive optimists here. It's not like, oh, everything will just be better if you just say a prayer. <laughs> There's some losses that it, it's over. There are some hurts that are too deep. What we believe is that God is with us. We have company, we have people who know that feeling, who love us, we go through that together. Think about this, talked to somebody recently who said, I used to be a real spiritual person, I used to really love church. That's great. I used to be spiritual, I used to love church. It's like that's gone dead in him. Can that be awakened? And my answer is, of course that can be awakened. There's a sleeping giant in each one of us. You think I lost my spirituality. No, it's still there. It's just the, you know, the weeds have grown over and it's gotten really dusty. You've just cleaned the place out. It's there. God put it in you. God created it in you. I've even thought about something as radical as, uh, I don't know how to talk about this yet, but let me try. I heard somebody the other day saying, we need a spiritual awakening in America. And that sounds like just the most fabulous idea imaginable, except I noticed the, the tone of voice and the posture of the guy that was saying it. It was sort of, we need a spiritual awakening in America. Like he was going to punch me out or something, right? We, 
We need a spiritual awakening in America. We need a spiritual awakening in America, but how shall I say it? it it's not going to be a clenched fist. It's not going to be a shout. It's going to be humble. It's going, if it's going to happen, it's going to be humble. It's going to be gentle. It's not going to be Christian. It's going to be interfaith. We've got people in this country from all over the place. What if everybody all over the place lived into the best ideals of their faith and became full of compassion and mercy? Could that happen in America? That just seems so impossible, but yet we're talking about the God that raised Jesus from the dead. We're talking about the God that created the world, the possible changes. In our passage uh, that Summer read to us, Peter talks about our inheritance. It's worth exploring inheritance. I'm somebody who, I have a little bit of inheritance. Uh, My grandparents have been gone for some time. I have some things from them. Uh, My my parents have died over the past three years, so there's some inheritance. Not a lot of cash in that, unfortunately. It's just a thing. So I have inheritance from these people. From my grandfather, I have the inheritance of, I have his wood plane that he used in working wood. I've not used it to work any wood, but I love that I have it. I have his mail pouch. He was a rural mail carrier. He carried that pouch around. That just means so much to me. I have another inheritance from my grandfather, and you've seen it many times if you know me, and it's right there. (laughs) This is the fabulous Howell hair. All the Howell men have it. We've all had it. My dad died at 95 years old with this hair. I've got it. My son, his hadn't changed color yet. He's got the Howell hair. It's an inheritance. You also inherit, don't you, from your ancestors' proclivity to disease, certain things that you're more likely to get. I have some arthritis issues. My mother had arthritis issues. It can be a genetic thing. That kind of thing uh, goes on. If my son were here, he would say, I inherited my dad's vertical leap, or lack thereof. (laughs) We inherit that. What is our inheritance from God? What do we inherit from God? Well, it's not the dumb stuff that we think matters. I'm, I'm an American, and I'm proud of it. That's not an inheritance from God. I'm white. That's not an inheritance from God. The inheritance is from God. So interesting, I thought about this. It's things like, uh, like you can pray. You even want to pray in crisis. You see perfect pagans in a crisis. They go, oh, God, they reach out to God. <laughs> That's an inheritance from God. We, we, we can pray. We can talk to God. You know, during the pandemic, I mentioned this to you several times. We need to keep this idea alive. In Romans chapter 8, it says this amazing thing that I find to be so hopeful. In Romans 8, Paul says, when you sigh done any sighing lately? You know, like, I mean, what is that? That's like despair, weariness, frustration. Paul in Romans 8 says, when you sigh, that is God's Holy Spirit praying inside you. Like, that just changes everything, isn't it? (laughs) So then it's not Oh, despair. Oh, exhaustion. It's the Holy Spirit is praying within me. It's, that's an inheritance from God. 
our ability to dream, our ability to hope, all of that, that God puts that in us. It's part of what it means to be in the image of God. In 1 Peter 1, which Summer read, it talks about that even though you are in a time of trial, you can rejoice. That's the kind of thing that you're not capable of. That's an inheritance from God. And, and the way it works is you can go to the saddest funeral in the world. I've been at a few lately. You can be at the saddest funeral in the world and somebody laughs about something. Isn't that just so surprising? Because there's always joy. Somehow there's a way to rejoice in the thick of trials and suffering. Our ability to hope, I love it that our capital campaign is called Hope is Here. Hope is Here. This is a place of hope. It's what the world is so desperate for. I love that hope will be on the name of our new building. And sometimes we get overblown ideas of what hope is. We think hope is, I don't know what we think it is. You know, like, a new heaven will unfurl. I don't see it coming. Sometimes hope, it could be something so simple, and it usually comes in the form of a simple connection with another person. Uh, recently, I read Joseph O'Connor's great novel, In My Father's House, and my favorite moment comes when a very wealthy woman, the Contessa Giovanna Landini, how shall I put it? This Contessa is someone who has much and has lost more. She has much and she has lost more. And she goes to her priest, and she tells about when she didn't want to go on, but how she managed to go on, and it was because of a new friend that she made. Here's the way she tells it. I love this. She says, hope, if it is ever encountered, is in the small things of the everyday. Not a big announcement from on high. Hope comes in things like the aroma of cooking, a phrase of music, a hand clasp, a conversation. That is what happened to me in the garden that day. Entering the park, I didn't know him. Leaving it, I had shaken hands with who would be the greatest friend of my life, who in those terrible months would give me purpose, a reason to go on living. I friend, this is why church matters. We want to be the people who offer the hand clasp and become the hope for someone else who is broken. Everybody's good at dressing up and coming to church and being fine. You all look fine. I took roll today. Every person here is doing great. And I congratulate you on that. But I know that inside there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of pain. Could we be that friend? In closing, let me talk about this. Uh, Peter talks about uh, that uh, your faith and what it works. He says it's more precious than gold. It is hidden for you in heaven. What was the thing Jesus said? Don't lay up treasure on earth. We're pretty good at that. Don't lay up treasure on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. And what would treasure in heaven look like? What about this the other day on Friday? We had the uh, funeral service here for Dick Carter. Dick was our lay leader, your lay leader here in the church. That was a hard funeral for me. He's a man that I love dearly and worked with so closely for a long time. One of the things that I told uh, in my homily was this. I said that uh, a lot of people, some people knew this here. Dick had, this is amazing, he had committed to memory the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's 111 verses. It's over 2,500 words. Dick had memorized this. And people hear that, and they think, he must be brilliant. He was a Duke guy. Of course he was brilliant. <laughs> <clears throat> 
It's not that it's a brilliant feat of memory. What I said at his service is it tells you about the heart of Dick Carter, right? That the words of Jesus meant that much to him that he knew them by heart. They were in his heart. So where does the treasure in heaven thing come in? What I said at his funeral is, I don't know if this is right, but I bet it is, is that when Dick died that Saturday night before Palm Sunday, uh, I believe that he entered heaven and was greeted and welcomed there. And Jesus said, Dick, welcome, well done, glad you're here. And in my imagination, Jesus then said to Dick, can you do something for me? And Dick said, well, of course, anything. And then Jesus said, could you do that Sermon on the Mount thing? For me, I always thought that was cool. If you think about it, Dick invested in learning that, and that's a treasure in heaven. That will count for him <laughs> in heaven. And then my question to you, I don't mean it's a threatening question. It's not a manipulative question. It's just a question that we all have to ask. What, what is your treasure in heaven? Like, what, what are you investing in? What are you part of? What, what's in you that when you get to heaven, Jesus will say, could you do that? More of that. What is that? What would that be? I love that we have this uh, building going up. It gives us a lot of ways to think about this. The steel's going up. It's really exciting. I begged and pleaded with the building superintendent to let me climb up in the top of that crane and operate that. They're not letting me near it. No surprise. As the steel goes up, there's a mistaken way to think about it. And I hear a lot of you doing this, and it's fine. A lot of you are like, wow, look at the steel going up. This is going to be a great building. That's fine. But what I would invite you to do is to think about the steel differently. When you see that steel going up, I want you to think of it as it's, it's a prayer, isn't it? It's we, the people of God, are reaching up tangibly toward heaven. <laughs> It is our hope. We hope in God. We look to God. And as we offer that prayer in that building going up, what you have to know is that people driving by notice. And what do they think about that? I mean, we live in a world where people think church people are doofuses. People think churches are just all dying. Churches just are, they're all mean and hypocritical. Churches are all, they're excluding people. Churches are whatever the view they have, and they're just dying. But they've got to go by here and think, Something's going on. Maybe there is a God. Maybe there is hope there. Maybe there is hope there. We're not just building here. We're building a neighborhood of 39 homes out near the airport, the Plato Price Project. And this one is especially interesting to me this week because it's called that because the black school for kids on the west side during the 19-teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, it was the Plato Price School. So it's the kind of school where somebody like Jimmy Kirkpatrick went to school. And you know, you know, they didn't get the resources and equipment and all that people in the schools in South and East Charlotte got. But yet, at that school, and when I go there, I try to listen for it. There were, there were children who came there, and they laughed, and they played, and they dreamed, and they cried, and they learned. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Can we hear their voices as we become part of a new neighborhood? For it? And then in closing, I didn't finesse the end of this sermon. I, I meant to. I just couldn't figure out how to do it, so I'll just close with this and be done. 
Um, our other building project is over at the Caldwell Memorial Presbyterian Church. Um, I biked by there yesterday. We're renovating part of their building. It's going to be apartments for people who at some point have been homeless in their lives. It's a great project. And something I really love about that project is we used to have a church member here named Richard Harrison, who was a dear, dear, dear friend. He wanted to be the first resident there. That was his dream. Somehow he'll be there when we open the place. I know Richard, so interesting. Richard, he was a black guy, and he lived his life in this largely white church. And he did that with so much uh, grace, so much goodness. Uh, but he helped us to learn about ourselves and to learn about our world. What a gift. Right? That hope always comes, doesn't it? It's not some big grand thing. It's a hand clasp. It's a, the face of some, a Richard, a, a Jimmy, a D. <laughs> when I think of that friendship of Jimmy and D, I mean, that's the hope for America, isn't it? That's the hope for race, poverty, all the things that we want to talk about. Here's, here are two guys, and they're willing to sit down, and, and they go on vacation together. I mean, good Lord Almighty, how lovely. They've wakened the dead. That's <laughs> what church does. We waken the dead. It's a privilege to be part of it. To awaken that person in us that's gone dead. There's a spiritual person in us. We never get numb. We weep, we dream, we laugh. It's a beautiful thing. It's a privilege. Thanks be to God.
Church family, would you join me in a time of prayer? O oh God, our help and our hope, holy is your name, unlike every other name we know. Holy are your ways beyond the reach of our imperfections. Holy are your people, called by you to show the world a new way, a new hope. We thank you for this opportunity this morning to bring our worship and praise to you, for you alone are worthy of our worship. We ask for your spirit to join us in this place, to enlighten our hearts, to raise what has been dead within us, to be present with us this morning as you show us who we are called to be. Lord, in your mercy. Gentle shepherd, we are mindful of those among us who suffer, and we pray for those in need of your healing this day, for the sick, for the injured and hospitalized, and for all those whose difficulties have isolated them from their community. Give them a spirit of healing and of hope. For those who mourn and weep, let them stand firm in your promises, buoyed by your strength and care, and give to us all the comfort and assurance that nothing, nothing can separate anyone from your love. Lord, in your mercy. Loving and gracious God, we gather here on this morning drawn by the mystery of life and death. Even as we praise you for the empty tomb, we approach you with a mixture of faith and doubt. There is so much sorrow and pain in our lives. We have friends and family who struggle in so many ways. Sometimes it keeps us from seeing your hand at work in us. Sometimes we forget that you are with us. Your proclamation of peace through the risen Christ is both amazing and startling, yet it brings such relief and joy. We want to see Jesus, to feel his comforting touch, and to know that his example is worth following. Pull together the fragments of our lives into the calm and peace of your spirit. Pull together those threads and lead us to write a new ending for the people we were. Wake us from the dead. Let your presence shine on us as we place our trust in you. Show us the truth that makes us whole and lead us in your work to redeem and reconcile the world. We lift this prayer in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Friends, as the ushers come forward and we prepare to bring to God his tithes and our offerings, I want to tell you thank you again for your continued generosity. It's your generosity that allows us to maintain this beautiful space, to build a new space, to keep the hope present in our community.
generous God, receive these gifts that we bring. Bless them, multiply them, use them to bring hope into your kingdom, we pray. Amen. of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore.